Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hello, Valley Point, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. I know it feels a bit different this year, but I do hope you take time to reflect and remember those who paid the ultimate price by giving their lives for our freedom. I hope you take time to do that. Welcome to the first week of a new theme called Befuddled. What we're doing with this theme is we're looking at different areas of life that sometimes cause us to be perplexed and confused and ask questions, befuddled. Today we're going to look at parenting and grandparenting. Certainly that can be challenging, right? Here's our big idea, which will frame our conversation. While parenting and grandparenting can be challenging and cause us to feel befuddled, nurturing our children is a responsibility we must take seriously. Today we have three presenters who are going to help us think about all of this. Each presenter will be sharing different thoughts and ideas about how to move away from being befuddled as a parent or a grandparent. The first presenter is my wife, Tanya. In addition to being a parent for six children, she is also a kindergarten teacher. She's going to be talking to us about parenting in the fog of everyday life based on Proverbs 22.6. Here's Tanya. Good morning, Valley Point Church. I really miss you. I can't wait till we can be together again. I miss all the conversations we have and the handshakes and the hugs. I'm hoping that soon this will all be over. This morning we're going to look a little bit at parenting. And before we jump into the information that I have, I just want to give you a little bit of a background. So I have been a mom for 24 years now. My oldest is 24 and I was 24 years old when I had him. So I've been on this whole parenting journey for a very long time now. Uh, We have six kids and I enjoy being a mom. But I just wanna say at the start of this, I am not a perfect mom, not even close. Uh, I have six wonderful kids that I love dearly. None of them are perfect though. So as I share this, I'm going to talk today from what I have learned, what I have read, and all the mistakes that I have made along the way. So about 12 years ago, I remember very clearly sitting down at my table and being befuddled at this whole job of being a parent. I was overwhelmed and I did not have the answers that I wanted when it came to parenting. I felt like things just weren't working well. And I remember sitting at that table and praying and telling God that I was going to commit to reading uh, the book of Proverbs and that I was going to read Proverbs consistently. And I was going to keep praying for God to help me have wisdom because I felt like I really, really 
needed wisdom. Uh, at the time we had uh, five kids. I had a sixth grader and a seventh grader and then three younger than that. And I just felt like with middle school, all of a sudden there were new needs, new emotions and new challenges that I just wasn't totally prepared for. And I didn't think really had that clear of answers. So I jumped into the book of Proverbs. Well, about a year and a half ago, maybe, uh, Eric encouraged us to get this book by Timothy Keller and uh, to read it. And this book is based on the book of Proverbs. The book is called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And I was reading this book and I came across this verse which says, children start off on the way they should go and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 22, six. And even as I read this proverb, this may bring great hope and excitement for some. For others, this may feel like a huge heavy weight. And for others, uh, this may be a little sad or even a little disappointing when, when they think about these words. But the author here goes on to say this. So according to Proverbs, there are three factors that determine the way a child grows up. The heart they are born with, nature. The quality of the parenting they receive, nurture, and their choices. The three interact in complex ways that no one can control except God himself. A parent's final most powerful resource then is prayer to the God who opens hearts. Now, let's go ahead and walk through these three aspects that Timothy Keller talked about. So I wanna start with the first one. The first one is the nature or the heart that a child is born with. So let's have a little bit of fun with this. So you have baby number one, you bring him home from the hospital, sweet, cute, cuddly baby number one, and they come home and you feed them and you put them down to sleep and it's challenging and can be overwhelming at times, but you get into a good schedule, routine, and you're like, okay, th this is going well and you're enjoying parenting, you're enjoying your child. And after a little while, they begin to sleep a little more, cry a little less, and life kind of gets back to normal and you get to go about your routines and the things that you enjoy. So you go and have child number two. And you bring child home, that child home from the hospital and uh, they seem to cry a little bit more than baby number one, but maybe you just kind of forget. And then uh, it seems like the stress levels maybe just a little higher now with child number two, but there are two of them. And this continues and you feel like maybe you sleep a little less, maybe it's a little harder, maybe they're a little more discontented and you start to wonder, what, what am I doing wrong? What, what have I forgotten about this stage? Or maybe you're not paying enough attention and you start reading more and asking more questions and, they, they just don't seem quite as easy as the first child. And then let's just imagine that you go to Target 
and you have child number one, you put them in the back of the cart and you hand them some books and they sit there quietly looking at books and you go to put child number two in the front of the cart. And as you go to put child number two in the front of the cart, they start to just scream like, like something's hurting them. So you look at the cart, you check, you feel around there. There's no spikes in the cart. You check them. They look okay. So you go back to put them in the cart for a second time. And the same awful scream comes from this child. So it has begun the battle. Or maybe we should just say them showing their preferences, their uniqueness. They're telling you what they want in life. Not every child just goes with the flow. Each child is born with their own nature. They're each born with their own heart. And with that comes their personality, their loves, their uniqueness, their weaknesses, and their strengths. So they are all different. That's part number one. The second part is nurture. Now this is our big responsibility as parents and I think where a lot of the weight uh, we carry comes in. So nurturing our kids. It's a heavy big job and there are many many parts to this. Uh, too many to cover in just a short amount of time but what I thought I would do is just highlight four different parts of nurturing our kids that I think may be helpful for all of us as we walk through parenting. Thought number one, I think that it's vitally important for us to teach our kids about God. Tell them that God loves them, that he is the one that created them and loves them, created the beautiful world around us. I think we can read Bible stories to them and tell them about who God is and how they can have their own personal relationship with God. Bring them to church. Right now we sit on the couch and watch church as a family together. That introduction to God and teaching them should just go on throughout life. And then as they get older and ask more questions, Continue the conversation. And in times like this, during COVID-19, we can say, this is kind of scary. And there's a lot of uncertainty in all this. But, but what do we know? We know God loves us. We know that God is in control. And these conversations don't stop at age 6 or 10 or 15 or even 20. These are conversations that we can have with our kids for a lifetime. That's one thought. Thought number two, we need to provide rules, structure, guidelines. Uh, this starts with simple things when they're young. Bedtimes, meals, don't run on the street, do your homework, do your chores, all these things that we need to do as parents to teach and train our kids to grow up and to be responsible. During this time, we hand more and more things off the older that they get, and we sadly will watch them fall and fail at different times, but we're there to help them get back up and to get on the right path. We as parents provide structure. This is a lot of work, and we have to give a lot of love also during that time. Number three, I would encourage you to have a mantra for your 
for your family. Have something that's kind of a phrase that describes who you are as a family. This is unique for all families, and uh, you may have one even if you haven't necessarily thought of it before. What makes your family unique? What is it that you want to teach your children? Something you want them to always remember. A mantra we have in our family is others first. We say that over and over and over again, and we have forever. If you ask our kids, they know those words, others first. Very simple, two words, others first. We say it when we pray, uh, help us to think of others first. We say it when somebody takes the end of the dessert and doesn't offer it to anyone else, others first. We talk about it when someone says something critical or maybe funny, but not so funny, others first. Uh, I think if we have something that we say, uh, we have a phrase that's us, I think it just sticks with our kids. And you may be sitting there thinking, nothing I say sticks with my kids. Uh, I think as parents, sometimes we feel like we say the same thing over and over and over again. I just want to say as an encouragement, if you are in that time frame in life where you feel like nothing that you say or do is sinking in, it does sink in. Now that I have three adult children, I hear some of the things that they say that we've said to them. I see them living out some of the things we've taught them in their lives without us saying, maybe you should do that. They, they do it. Do they do it perfectly? No. Do I agree with all the decisions? No, of course not. But I can see that there are things that they have learned. And it's very humbling and it's very encouraging. And I share that to say, it, it works. As parents, the things we say and the things we do, they do matter. Even if it looks a little messy right now, even if it's a little foggy and it's hard to see right now, stick with it. What you're doing truly matters. Number four, something very easy, eat together. Now that may sound kind of silly, but I am big on this one. I think that it's really important from the time your kids are very young to just take the time to eat together. Uh, if your children are little, stick them in a high chair with Cheerios and maybe give them one at a time so they sit there a long time um, or as long as possible. But take time each day as much as possible to eat together. Why? Why take the time to eat together? It's a great teaching time. We can tell our kids a lot while we sit around the table. We can hear about their day and they can hear about our day and we get to share. And sharing with food just works. Practice hospitality first, right in your own home. It makes a huge difference. And one of the blessings I've seen as my kids have gotten older is that eating is something that they don't grow out of. So many of the things that are traditions that you do or special things that you do as a family, they grow out of and then you're kind of sad and you're like, oh, I wish we could still do this. But now they're too older, they've lost interest. Eating never gets old. They still like to eat, we all like to eat. Take time to eat together. 
I've heard many people say that one of the good parts of COVID-19 is that they have time to eat together. I hope that this is something that we hold on to when life gets back to normal, that we still find time to eat together and enjoy each other. So we talked about the nature. We talked a little bit about nurture. Now let's look at the third area, which is the choices that kids make. This is a hard one, isn't it? We know our kids make their own choices from a very young age. The first time they scream no at us, it's their own choice. They made the choice to say what they wanted. The first time they do a homework assignment and you look at it and you're like, what? What is this? This doesn't look good. This isn't neat. This isn't your best. When they take tests or you see grades, you're like, what? This isn't what you can do. You can do better than this. They drive and they drive too fast and they drive reckless. Life is full of choices and our kids are going to make their own choices. So what do we do? This is a tough one. I have two thoughts. First is for grandparents. Grandparents, we need you. I think grandparents have voices that are heard clear and louder than the voices of parents. If you're a grandparent here today, please use your voice. Please tell our kids what your thoughts are. Please share your wisdom with them. We need you, grandparents. I feel like when my kids talk about their grandparents, it sounds like they're superheroes. Use your superhero powers, grandparents, because we need you to help our kids make good choices. Thought number two, watching our kids make their own choices is difficult. Uh, we wanna fix everything, we wanna stop them, we wanna help them, we wanna make choices for them, but we can't. What can we do? We can pray. Now I know it's Sunday morning and so I have to say that the best thing we can do is pray because it's church and that's what we're supposed to do. And because Eric is gonna listen to this, so we have to say, I have to say, that we need to pray, but it's really, really true. My life verse for this year is Colossians 4.2. Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. I think it's so important for us to pray for our kids. I pray for my kids because it helps me not to worry. I worry about my kids if I don't pray for my kids. If I pray to, my, to God about my kids and I just, I hold my kids with open hands before God and I say, Lord, I know you love my kids more than I do. I know that they're safe and secure in your hands. Even though I don't really know if I like their choices, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know, Lord, that you hold them. When I pray that, gives me peace, helps me sleep well, gives me joy, gives me strength, gives me the ability to talk with them and share with them 
even when they're walking through difficult times. Let's commit to praying for our kids. It makes a huge difference. And it helps me knowing that God loves my kids even more than I do. And when I give my kids to him, I know that they are safe and they are secure. So just a couple thoughts, a couple takeaways from this. First, parents, enjoy the nature of your kids. Two, nurture your kids. It's a lot of work, but work hard and love them well. And last, pray for your kids. Pray for their choices and then trust God with them because he loves them even more than what we do. And the last takeaway is for grandparents. Grandparents, please use your superhero powers and invest in your grandchildren. We really need you. Thank you, Tanya. What does parenting look like in the fog of a pandemic? I think that's a fair question because that's what we're all living right now. Here to help us with that is Dr. Una Brewer. In addition to being a parent for three children, Dr. Brewer is also a pediatrician and she will share thoughts from her perspective. Here's Dr. Una Brewer. Good morning, Valley Point. I'm talking to you today from my backyard in uh, my quarantine yoga pants. I have my pandemic hairdo. I am a mother of three wonderful adult children, 23, 20, and 17, and I'm a pediatrician to hundreds of children in our community. And I must say, I have never been so befuddled in my life as I am now regarding how to parent and how to be, to be a pediatrician. This pandemic has really thrown me for a loop. My children, as were yours, were abruptly taken away from their universities, their grad schools, their dorms, their friends, their social life. High school and college suddenly went online and social isolation became real in such a dramatic way that um, it's hard to believe that it's been 60 days. It feels like 160 days and it's been really, really difficult. And the abruptness of it is what had really had me befuddled. And in my pediatric practice, I saw so many more children in the past 60 days, the preschoolers with stomach aches, temper tantrums, acting out, not sleeping at night, just really being out of sorts. Um, my elementary patients really missing their teachers, not understanding what's going on, and um, wondering why they can't play with their friends on the playground. Seeing the fear in their parents' eyes, all those would be manifested in my office, and I'd be fuddled. Don't know quite how to answer some of their complaints because I personally am going through this for the first time as well as a professional. My teenage patients, um, I think initially the teenagers thought it was kind of cool to be on Zoom, to sleep in and um, technology all day long. But I think that novelty wore off one by one as things started getting canceled. No spring sports, no junior prom, no mini-thon, no senior prom 
no graduation, no summer camp. And now the thought of college next year, school next year, will it be online? There is so much uncertainty amongst our teenagers. And what I'm seeing in my office is a lot of depression. I've never had so many tears with my teenage patients and their parents as I have had in the past 60 days. So it's been really, really difficult for me as a mom and as a pediatrician to kind of grasp this. So at home, initially, I said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do this the best we can. And I got a sheet out and we made goals. We had spiritual goals and fitness goals, creative goals, and we wrote them all down. And we, I actually put them on the refrigerator so that we could all see, you know, we're going to be stuck in the house together for three weeks. Let's do these. And initially it was fun. We did a thousand piece puzzle. Um, I read two novels that I normally don't have time to do. We did some Zoom games with some friends. We did some baking and a lot of family hikes. Um, but again, as things got worse and the, the dates for closure just continued to get longer and longer, it was harder for me to be the family cheerleader and to be optimistic. Um, I was trying. I felt myself being on an emotional roller coaster. Some days I'd feel like, okay, I've got this. Let's go, family. And other days, I'm like, I hate this. I don't know what to do. And I can remember times waking up in the morning thinking, oh, the sun's shining. And for a split second, forgetting what we're going through. And then the sinking feeling in my heart, we're like, oh, wait, we're in a pandemic. This is horrible. So I personally have been through an emotional roller coaster. I'm not sleeping a lot. Um, in my spare time, I'm reading everything I can about medicine so that I can serve my patients better. And this virus is new. So I'm online all the time talking to pediatricians in Italy and Spain and China. And I'm befuddled. And I'm not sleeping. I have good moments and bad moments. It's really a roller coaster. I must say, I've been leaning on scripture a lot to get me through. Certainly Psalm 91 has been my nightly go-to, and I'm not going to read it now. It's long, but I do suggest it. Um, my life verse, ironically, has been there for me every single night before bed, and I'll read it for you. It is Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I read that every single night before I go to bed. And along with um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And I would repeat that over and over again just so that I could sleep. Some nights I would, other nights I wouldn't. It's been hard. It's been hard for me, but I'm trying. And um, all in all, I think I'm doing okay, but I'm really in tune to making sure I don't get depressed. And um, what advice do I have as a mom and a pediatrician? It's certainly nothing perfect, but um, parents, I would say don't be hard on yourself. Give your best each day and you're going to be fine. Your best one day may be not so good in the traditional terms of parenting. If you have to feed your children frozen pizza for three nights in a row and Cheez-Its on the side, it's okay. Kids are resilient. They will do okay. 
if you couldn't get through the vegetable aisle in Wegmans because the arrow was telling you to go in one way and you missed it and it would take another 30 minutes to go back around and get the green peppers and the red peppers and the broccoli for your kids so they have their vitamins, skip it. They're going to be okay. Get them next time. Give yourself a break. That's the best advice I can give you as parents. Kids are really resilient and that's why I love being a pediatrician. A lot of rules can be bent during the pandemic. A little, little more screen time's okay. Maybe building a fort in that fancy um, living room furniture that's been off limits for a long time. Go for it. Bend the rules. Have a little bit more fun. For your teenagers, I recommend what I call pandemic pop-ins. Knock on that dreaded closed door. Wait for a response. They won't respond. Knock again and check in with your kids every day. Ask them how are they on a scale of 1 to 10. How sad are they? And if, if they're vacillating like I am, then that's probably okay. It's typical. But if you find that they're consistently on a low number or they're crying a lot, please seek help. And for yourself as well. Check in with your own emotional health. And if you're finding that is getting too much, reach out to friends and reach out to counselors. That's what we're doing in our house. And um, we need this to get through. Finally, I think the most important thing for all of us as parents is to have faith, hope, and love. Show the children that you have faith by doing your Bible studies, your devotions, and praying together. And if you have faith in God, then clearly we're going to have hope that he's in charge of this. And ultimately, love your children. That's the most important thing. And if you have faith and hope and love, and you love your children wholeheartedly, then I do believe everything is going to be all right. I don't know when, but I do believe it will. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Thanks, Una. Aisha Brooks Lytle is a friend of Valley Point and has spoken here in the past. A couple of years ago, she moved to the Atlanta area to begin new work after serving at Wayne Presbyterian Church. I had the chance to interview Aisha as she talked about parenting in the fog of a trauma. In 2018, Aisha's husband Carl passed after a long sickness, and their son watched all of this. How do you parent? through a difficult season. Here's our interview. Hello, Aisha. It is so good to see you. We certainly miss you at Valley Point Church, but at least we get to do this. Will you take just a moment and say hi to Valley Point? Hi, Valley Point. I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Aisha, we're here talking about being befuddled when it comes to parenting. Yes. I think you are a parenting hero. Thank you. Because you had to lead yeah. and parent through the death of your husband, Carl, in 2018. Yeah. As we have talked about this, you shared with me how that was a very challenging time to parent because... Carl was in hospice yeah. for four years before he passed. Right. So you were a parent yeah. plus yeah. caregiver. 
And Ellington, your son, was nine at the time. How challenging was this season? You know, before we actually moved to, to Wayne, um, we were still living in a row home in, um, in the northeast section of Philadelphia. And I remember um, early prognosis, early realizing that the decline was coming. And I remember laying down in one of the, in the guest room, it was just a room right next to Ellington's. And I laid prostrate on the ground. I said, Lord, let this end with dignity and grace. And I think that the challenge of trusting that all of it will come in that way with dignity and grace with a lot of bumps and lumps um, along the way. And so I think the chat, the biggest challenge was trust. The mm -hmm. biggest challenge was like, how am I not going to lose my mind? caring for this sick man, getting the news that sick is actually sick and dying. Mm. Getting the news that sick and dying means that this person is also cognitively impaired. And therefore the brilliant uh, husband that I had was also turning into a more childlike figure in terms of being able to process information and communicate. And so I think there was a challenge of trust. I think there was also the challenge of, um, of the grief journey, um, there's a lot of anger for parents who are having to parent and things are changing around them. And I'll say this to all, to all, the, um, to all the nice folk, right? Who are not used to, to what to do with their anger, I call it a little angry monster. You're like, no, that's not, that's not me, I'm happy. I have my coffee, I have my devotions. Like, you're like ready to, just destroy everything because you can't believe everything is changing on the dime. Mm -hmm. So I think the challenge of, again, of caregiving, of, of all the shifting, of how do you adjust um, in real time? I would also say the challenge of having to advocate for your kid and your partner mm -hmm. um, and, and, and also and to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. it's, it was like, it was a constant moving target. I think it's probably some of the probably one of the hardest things, more than the, and you and I talked about this, more than the death itself, mm. but all the shifting that was happening and trying to literally keep your head above water while it was happening. Wow. Yeah. This is why I say you're a parenting hero. <laughs> <laughs> I got scars and stuff and tattoos and all that. <laughs> Now, one of the great things, and I know this about you, is that you, you had some wonderful people around you throughout this whole time in dealing with Carl and yeah. certainly in parenting as well. People who were encouraging to you and supportive and loving, like your mom. Yeah. She's a treasure, right? It's such a treasure. Like, it's the, honestly, it's, it's redefining what, what family, right? Like Valley Point, y'all are family. And I remember when we became family, like when you're sharing life and sharing ministry, I cannot tell you how many people in the community of faith and even out, you know, ecumenically, multi, you know, multi-faith ways, people that would hear about what was going on in our family dynamic and say, can I do tutoring with Ellington every Thursday? Or can I just, one of our um, of people in our community would watch The Flash with Ellington, just to establish this is the consistent thing that happens for him. 
or another um, auntie in the faith would, would tutor him and all, he always got ice cream. <laughs> I hear it was cold outside, he always got ice cream every time. Or people who had you know more kids and they would take their kids alongside him or folks from, from the city that would say, let me keep him overnight. And so it was just all of this, just all of this community of caring and support and connectivity. And it was, and I think that's a challenge. When you're, when you're a parent dealing with caregiving or, or dealing with any health challenges, you have to be vulnerable. Mm. You, have to, you have to show your hands and say, you're absolutely right. I cannot do this all by myself. So yes, you can take him to get ice cream. Yes, you can tutor. Yes, you can watch The Flash. I'm going to go take a nap. Absolutely. <laughs> you can bring applesauce every week. Yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> so I think it's, it's letting down the facade that you have this all figured out or that you, that you can do this all on your own. Because you can't, you can't. And, and I just think this goes to show that a lot of people can surround parents yes. in the process of this to encourage and love and support and do things, including grandparents. Yes. I think God can absolutely use them. And so grandparents, you should take full advantage of that. I know you, you talk about calling your mom a raven. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, I can. Um, when I was serving as a pastor for mission at Wayne Prez, we studied the life of Elijah and Elisha and just talked about seeing miracles in our lives and also passing the mantle. And our pastor, you know, we were just in dialogue and utilized one of, you know, one of those lessons for the sermon topic for the day. And it was the story of Elijah being fed in the wilderness um, by the ravens. And so the sermon title was Look for the Ravens. And it was, you know, look for the people who can support you and look out for God's provision from unlikely sources. And in that season, we were paying for paid caregivers to come into our home. And my mom, who had been recently divorced, was a single mom. You know, my sister was graduating and going off to college. And I was like, wait a minute. My mom is the raven. <laughs> and I called her and I said, now I'm not calling you a ravenous bird who is this, you know, eat, eat, eat things. But I said, would you be willing to let go of the two jobs that you have in exchange for letting us, you know, let us be an even exchange. This is what I pay out for this, but like, let's all keep this in the family. And she was so excited. She said, oh, did you need me to quit today? I said, no, give me like, give me two weeks. <laughs> but she, she um, gave her two-week notice, and I relieved the wonderful agency that worked with us. And mom moved in, and our lives have been glorious ever since. Wow. She's just been remarkable. And my sister was home from college. We would all just squeeze up in that little two-bedroom condo right there in, uh, in Devon. And it just was wonderful. Just mm. wonderful. Mm. Aisha, you have a story of praying for, really praying over Ellington during this time. Will you share that? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, like I said, you're trying to trust and, 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 um, you know, being vulnerable and being honest about what you can and can't handle. And so, you know, we had the therapist and we had the people to come in, but I just remember um, standing over his bunk bed in his bedroom 
And I got, you know, I got a little teary and I said, Lord, don't let his father's illness or even his father's death break his spirit or break his love for, for you, oh Lord. I mean, there are times when the rubber meets the road and people come with crisis and they just, they're done with God. I had that own time in that season where I was ready to be done with being, I called it, I was done being emotional with God. Like I was just done because this is just too long. And it was my mother who drove up and got in, came to my house and got in my bed. It was like, we're not going to do that today. <laughs> it's not happening. That's not happening today. Not today. So, and, and because I personally knew what that feeling could feel like and knew what those, what that, that anger. And so I just prayed like, Lord, don't break, let this break him. Just don't let it break him. And Ellington is just, he's a, he ain't perfect, but he sure is a champion and he loves God and he knows that he's loved by God. Mm. So that was really the prayer because that's how I was raised. I was taught that. And to, to have somebody miss that because we knew that death was coming. I was like, Lord, let, let it not be so. Mm. Please let it not be so. Yep. Yeah. And, and maybe the lesson here is that prayer is a parent's friend and provision as well. But prayer, certainly a parent's friend and something we, we must do all the time. It, honestly, it's really, it's almost like parents need to take cues from the monastics and the, and the early desert mothers and fathers where prayer is like breathing. You mm-hmm. cannot get through the homework. You cannot get through the attitudes. You cannot get through the shifts and changes if you're not like, Jesus, well, come on, help me, Lord. Help me now. Help me now. Help, help me so I can help them. Because if you don't help me, I'm going to choke them. But, you know, help me. <laughs> okay. One more story. Sure. After a lifetime in the Philadelphia area, you had the opportunity to move to the Atlanta area to become, let's see if I can get this right now. I think you can do Executive that. Presbyter for the Presbytery of Greater Atlanta. I got it right? You did it. You did it. <laughs> an important job. A big you job. You did it. You did it. <laughs> All of this occurred, this opportunity to move and pursue what has turned into being a really good thing for you. This opportunity came right at the time of Carl's passing. Yeah. So more befuddled parenting. Yeah. Because now you have to approach Ellington, who's a little bit older, and he's lived his entire life, obviously, yeah. in the Philadelphia area, and you have to talk about a move. Yeah. But he had a really unique response to all of that. Tell us. He did. I was, um, there were a few things that I was, a few places I was thinking about. So the, I, again, prayer, I listened to the spirit, and I remember the nudgings, like, tell him now, give him a heads up tell him you're looking at these things. And we were sitting at the kitchen table, our dining room table. And I said, Ellington, I have to tell you that I'm looking at a few different jobs and there's a very strong possibility that we're going to have to move. And, you know, of course, you, you know, the tears and I don't want to move. And, 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 and to put it in context, he had been in like five different schools up to this point mm. in all of the shifting and changing for Carl's health and all the stuff that we had to do. And so, you know, he's getting teary and the tears fall, and then he pauses, wait, he takes his pause moment, and he starts wiping his eyes, he goes, wait, mommy, wait, we learned about this, 
We learned about this in school. This is called resilience. And, and when things change, you adapt. So I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And I was like, I wish I had learned that. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you say that one more time, please? Because I need that now. Wow. Give it to me. Yeah, and, and I want to add this caveat, too, in terms of the spirit working within our children, because that's the other thing, too. When I asked Ellington, it was some opportunities between New Jersey and Atlanta. We were in the parking lot of the nursing home. And I said, Ellington, New Jersey or Atlanta? Which one? And without a dime, he said Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, we're in the nursing home. Like, we're going to have to leave, and you won't be able to see your father on a regular basis. And he was just like, I don't, that's what I, what I want. So even that, and that was part of my discernment. Like I could hear God speaking even through, um, through the children. So yeah, powerful, powerful stuff. Aisha, thank you so much for your time and helping us here at Valley Point think about how to parent and grandparent during befuddled seasons. You have walked through a lot of trauma, a lot of grief, and thank you for sharing a bit of your story and your life. As you said, the first time you spoke at Valley Point, we're family now. We're family. <laughs> I did say that. Yes, you did. <laughs> we're family now. So we're family now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so thank you for sharing a little bit of your parenting journey with us as well to help us. Now. One of the things I've always loved about you coming and speaking at Valley Point is you would sing a song as a prayer. Yes. So in closing, can I ask you to sing that for us and pray for us? Can you do that, please? It would be my honor to pray and to encourage the parents, the grandparents, the aunties, the uncles, the nieces, nephews. We're all in this thing together. Sorry. Well, let us pray. Mm. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. Have mercy. On us. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. For every parent that is befuddled, give them the ability to believe and to hold on to your unchanging hand. Lord, you are our parent and you draw us close. Help us to fall into your arms and to experience that love from you so that we are filled up and renewed and we have the energy, intelligence, imagination, and love to care for all of those in our grasp. We ask for strength for our children, help them to never be afraid, and to know just how much they are loved. Mm. Thank you for this season in our lives where we hear your voice like never before. And may we know that you are always with us. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, my friend. Have fun in Atlanta. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. And thank you for this opportunity.
parenting and grandparenting can be challenging. It can also be incredibly rewarding. I hope you heard something today that encourages you. I have two takeaways for us. The first takeaway is for parents. Here we go. Treasure your time, okay? Parents, treasure your time and wisely use it to nurture your children. The second takeaway is for grandparents. Please use your superhero powers. Grandparents, you are superheroes. So use your superhero powers to invest in your grandchildren because your help is needed. I hope all of this encourages you today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today and for the opportunity we have had to think about parenting and grandparenting. God, right now I wanna lift up all of the parents and grandparents of Valley Point. Encourage them, sustain them, empower them, I do pray. And help us all to keep looking to you. Give us a great week now, we do pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.